bullshit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Hey, after you drop off the kids or put them to bed, turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice and Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in what we may dub the podcast cabin. Yeah. You're going to stick with it? I think so. All right. I don't know. Now, when this airs, they may not have heard the episode where podcast cabin was brought up. Oh, right. right, uh, right. I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here with Tony Thaxon, producer who still has no nickname, although on a recent Thursday episode, I kept calling him, was I calling you Tone Zone? Yep. And you didn't like it. Yeah. But it really, it really just rolled off my tongue. Twitter seems to like it suddenly now too, which is weird because they haven't. As we sit here recording this, they have not yet heard the episode where I oh, called right. you Tone Zone like yeah. six thousand times. Right, and I don't want to be that guy. Like Daniel works with someone who's like, there he is. Yeah. I mean, it's like an <laughs> SNL sketch. Like I don't want to be the person who's given you the nickname Tone Zone, but it, it, I, I am the person who's given you that nickname. It could be much worse. I know. I can deal. Thank you, TZ. <laughs> We're sitting here with Erica Rhodes. Hello. Welcome. Hi. She's an actress, a comedian. She got her start on the Prairie Home Companion at age 10 because your uncle is Garrison Keeler. Yes. That's a short version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll he find wasn't, out. Yeah, he wasn't at the time, but okay. then, yeah, later he became it. Well, we got we got to yeah. dig into that. Mm-hmm. You've also appeared in several movies and TV shows. You have a new album out as of June eighteenth called Sad Lemon, and you're going to be in uh, an it's NBC, right? NBC yes. show Bring the Funny, which airs on July or premieres on July thirtieth. So we'll get into all of that stuff. Also, you smell really good, and I know the Aww. listeners can't smell you, but <laughs> this is incentive to go to one of your shows. <laughs> They and just take a, a whiff. whiff. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you were, we were, before we turned the mics on, you were saying that you had come from therapy. And I was yes. saying that I had therapy this morning. And then you started saying that you have a therapist who does like a weird form of therapy. And I'm like, wait, save that. I yeah. want to hear about that. So tell me more. Oh, right now? Sure. Um, yeah, no, he's, I, I'm not exactly sure what kind it is, but he's sort of like delving in a lot to how he and I are relating to each other. Interesting. Which is different. Like to me, it's very much like this is a professional. There's like a professional wall between us and he keeps pushing. He keeps saying, well, it was interesting to me that like when like you hadn't like because I had like an article in the LA Times. And, I read that article. I, Congrats. Oh, thanks. It, but I showed it to him and he's like he's trying to analyze how I seem to want his approval. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted 
accolades from him and he kept bringing it up like what was going like why and then I felt for some reason very embarrassed by that like I felt very much like what like this is embarrassing that I wanted that I needed approval or validation from uh-huh. my therapist you know and so but he wanted to talk about that and I kept sort of evading the subject I kept being like well I don't really know you know I don't remember now yeah you know and I think so he thought there was something there mm. they always think there's something there. oh yeah um <laughs> Did you tell did, did was he aware that you were getting embarrassed though? Yes, I think that's why he kept pushing right. it because I think he thinks there's some interesting yeah. there's something there as far as why I feel a shame attached to wanting validation or admiration that kind of thing like Do you think there's something there? Yeah, I'm sure there is, you know, I'm sure because whatever you're like seeking outside mm-hmm. is definitely some sort of lack inside. You know, it's you're not giving it to yourself for whatever reason. Right, right. So he, I think he felt it was sort of a metaphor for other things or other relationships. Um, my therapist, it's interesting you say this because my therapist also, not specifically today, but previously and recently has like kind of wanted to talk about the way she and I relate. And my, I've never had that in therapy before nor have I ever wanted it. And it, my instinct is kind of like, well, okay, but I would rather talk about more pressing things in my life because this is like a very, you know, compartmentalized thing. But I do think that she's doing it because she's trying to get me to be more, oh, more, um, like to communicate better in uncomfortable situations with the people in my life. And I think she's, it's like a Petri dish in there. But my instinct is to not want to. Right. Same. Mine is to keep it very professional. Like we don't cross that line. Right. But I think it's, I think it's interesting if they decide to go in that, Mm -hmm. that route, it feels a little bit like, or that technique, it feels like they're, they must think there's something there worth exploring in your relationship that is gonna filter into other aspects of your life. Right. It's like we feel like we're compartmentalizing mm-hmm. our relationships and it feels like maybe our therapists are like, no, you don't have to do that. Like, well, even just in the course of talking about it, I think that in trying to not talk about my relationship with her, with her, it is avoidant. Yes. Which I am. Right. And then you're probably, and then it probably, is how you relate to other people too. Mm-hmm. Like you probably say, oh, that this person is that person to right. me or this person is that. And then you don't yeah. open up more in certain ways. Right. I don't know. No, but I think now you're I'm right. Now I'm analyzing you. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You need to open up more. <laughs> Tony, yeah. how, how do your therapist, how have your therapists related to you? Have they yeah. made you try to talk about your relationship with them? No, that's never happened. Mm. Uh, Are you in therapy? I am. Yeah. I've We're kind all of, <laughs> every well I think that's good. Yeah, I do too. I think it's a positive. Yeah. So. I I'm still on the I started seeing a new one a few months ago and I'm still kind of on the fence with how I feel about her. How interesting. Uh. I it's not I I think she's very nice and I think she means well and I think there has been some good in it but she interrupts me a lot. <laughs> Which kind of, I like, it's starting to like get on my nerves now. And I, uh, I, I just kind of like keep going lately has been my approach. I'm like, all right, she's thought I'm just going to keep talking because she interrupted me again. What is, what kind of stuff does she interrupt you to say? Uh, anything. Like, it, there's no like consistent thing. 
And it I feel like, like not listening. I know. You know, right. I that's, mean, that sounds like the main job is listening. Mm-hmm. And if they're interrupting, they're not listening. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought too. I don't know. It's weird. I'm not sure how I feel. I would maybe go with your instincts that it's not, not the right fit. Yeah. My, I had I a therapist say. in New York who, if she would ever interrupt me, she'd be like, Oh, oh, sorry. Inter-. Like she stepped on my foot or something. I'm like, uh-huh. well, it's not that big a deal, but I appreciate yeah. the oh, she uh, do sacredness with which you hold my words. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Then again, though, I mean, that could be her. Like Erica and I are going to, we should do a show. Just about helping people figure out whether to keep their therapist. Yeah. <laughs> probably not have a huge market, but a very big one in My LA. last therapist before this one, I tried to fire after one session and then I ended up seeing him for seven years. What happened? He just sort of took, like, I think I challenged him. Like, I just didn't, I was like, I don't think this is really a fit. And he just asked me about it and we talked about it. And I said, I just don't feel like you're challenging me or something like that. After one session. After like one. And then he was really open to my critique and why I didn't feel like it was a fit. And then somehow because we talked about it or because he was open to it, it ended up being like a really good match, I think. I might have seen him too long because now my new therapist, I'm like, I feel like he's way in a different level. You feel like your other one is at a different level. My new one is like way higher level. Oh, oh, I see. But but I think at the time, but then that's also like, well, maybe it's because I'm in a different place after doing seven right. years of therapy. Right. So how come you switched? Because he, the other one dropped me. He was like getting his license. Because mm. I go to this place where you can get like sliding scale uh-huh. and they have a supervisor but they have a degree. They're just still getting. They're I still doing actually, their. I might actually know the place. We don't need to say it. it. Or you could. Well, it's in Santa Monica. Yeah, I might actually know it yeah. because I remember someone. Do you want to say it or no? It's just called the Saturday Center. Then no, I know. A di- <laughs> I know a different one also okay. on the West Side that does sliding. It's like a similar. Well, of course, there's more than just one place. It's great though. I mean, I've had two really good therapists, and I haven't had to fire anyone Mm -hmm. so i mean the other guy yeah then he left he left sort of abruptly and that was a little bit weird for me right because there he didn't really sit down with me and say like i'm leaving he was just like called me and said yeah i'm leaving and then sent me a letter and i was like this is weird that does seem weird yeah after seven years right i mean that's a long time so it felt like very disruptive at first Mm -hmm. and then were you like Oh no, what do I do? Because you had to find start yeah, over with someone. I didn't really know what to do, but then I just called the same place and they just gave me a new guy. So I, it was very easy. Mm-hmm. And I thought I thought, didn't I fill something out last time? Like, didn't I fill out whether I wanted a woman or man or, you know, some details? And I guess not, because this time they just gave me somebody. And he's like a really good fit. Interesting. Isn't that weird? That sounds really good. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna and I was gonna ask. So I've always seen women. Uh-huh. I've always seen men. And do you like that? Yeah. You know, I saw, I think when I lived in New York, I saw a woman or two and I felt like it was, I think it was distracting to me because I felt them more empathetic. Mm -hmm. And because I'm so overly sensitive, it would affect me. And then I would feel bad sharing issues with them because I felt like they took more on Mm. for some reason. And that could have just been my own thing. Like you were afraid you were going to overwhelm them yeah or so if i just felt more affected by them like mm-hmm. i felt their emotions more right whereas i felt like men were better at being like kind of stoic and removed mm-hmm. which made me feel safer for some That's reason so interesting yeah I um don't know. how do you relate to female and male friends in your life 
Um, it's a good question. I probably have fewer female friends in some ways than, but that's not necessarily true. I think I go through phases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I go through phases with that. It might not be a female male thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really sure. Right. And I'd be remiss yeah. as a therapist who hosts a podcast who's not a therapist. Uh, wait, are you a therapist? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I was like, wait, he was actually starting to sound like <laughs> No. I just pretend to be. Um, what's your relationship with your mom and dad like? Um, It's good. Pretty good. You know, not perfect, but pretty good. Uh, I'm close to both of them. Mm-hmm. They're still married and everything. And are they, uh, you grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, yes. right? Are they still there? Yes. What was your childhood like? Um, A little crazy because my mom's a musician. Oh, right. She plays she cello? Plays in the, she plays violin, violin in the Boston Pops. And my dad was a um, clarinetist. They met in music school, but then he got MS. Mm. So he uh, switched professions, became a CPA. So my childhood was kind of like a little bit chaotic because there was no normal schedule. My mom would get home late. My dad worked all the time. And we had no like, we had no real structure. It was always Mm kind of like everything was sort of each person for themselves. Like we didn't really have family dinners. It was always like, you find whatever you want to eat, eat whenever you want to eat, do your homework when you want to do it. No bedtime, just sort of like kind of crazy. And was that a... um like a philosophical decision they were making or was that just sort of because they were so busy? I think a little bit of both, you know? I think my mom's a little bit of a free spirit, like you sort of teach yourself things mm-hmm. and uh, very independent. But also I think they were both very busy too. We had a lot of babysitters as a kid. We had weird babysitters. We had one that like almost burnt the house down we had one who killed a parakeet in front of us. Oh my god! How? <laughs> what? That sounds. What happened? He was like the neighbor boy. He was like a teenager, and they just like needed someone to watch us, and he was kind of disturbed. And we were babysitting these parakeets for school, and he like stabbed one with <gasps> a pen in front of us because he was like disturbed kid. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Was it as awful as I'm imagining it was? I, like, I, it's so vague in my memory because I was very young. Like, I must have been, like, five. Mm-hmm. But, yes, I do remember being like, what? Yeah, I think he, I think that's what happened. I could be remembering it totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So this was, like, your turn. Were they class parakeets? I think so because we, par- we didn't have a pet parakeet. Right. So I think you remember- there were parakeets. Do you remember having to go to school? <laughs> I think they were alive and real. I'm sure they were. I mean, this is so long yeah. ago, but I don't remember anything around it. I just so you remember, don't remember like going to school and being like, no. here's one parakeet. I don't know if it was mine or my sister's or yeah, I just remember. I just remember he was a disturbed babysitter and was right. like, why is this guy watching us? Mm. You know, and he was like young. He was probably like 15. He was like a teenager. So it's like a disturbed teenage boy. Yeah. So, so we had some weird babysitters. I'm assuming that was the only time he babysat you guys. <laughs> I think so. There might have been one other time. That's so upsetting. I know, but yeah, that was just one crazy memory. But we had we had some really great babysitters. We had like a live-in nanny, and she was great, and we had some really good ones. So, do you have an older or younger sister? Older. And what's she like? 
she's normal. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a comic. She she lives in she just moved to Tallahassee with her husband who's a stand-up bass player and she has two kids. And she's like a really good writer, very funny, very ground, much more grounded than I am, you know, much more organized. <laughs> so how did it happen that you started performing at 10? Well, so my, because my mom's a violinist, she had an orchestra called the Pro Arte Chamber Orchestra Boston uh, that she founded. And she went to the same high school as Garrison Keeler. And she wrote him a letter saying, will you come do a fundraiser for my orchestra? Um, and she like read his book and in the book, there was like some, uh, there was some description about a band having to eat a live, there's like a weird bird theme tonight, <laughs> today, <laughs> um, had to eat a live chicken so that they could make money for their band or something. Like it was like some sort of day or he had to eat a live chicken. So my mom read that and said, don't let, don't make us resort to eating a live chicken <laughs> and he thought that was clever you know right. so he came out and did the fundraiser and they got along really well and then my mom was like you should meet my sister who lives in new york you would get along really well with her and he ended up looking her up and they ended up dating and while they were dating he came and saw me in the nutcracker which i was dancing in and we all went out to dinner and he heard me speak and kind of looked over like, what is that sound? <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, he, my mom was like, he wants you to do the show. And so I did it the next day. And then they ended up dating and then then they got married later on. Mm -hmm. so. And what was that experience like doing the show at 10, though? Well, I had no idea what it was, you know, like I was really into ballet. So I, I was sort of acting at the time, but just sort of on the side. And mm -hmm. I didn't really take it seriously or anything. And... uh Alice and Janney was like I was sharing a dressing room with Alice and Janney and I had to uh, stand on like one of those box um, like apple crates yeah apple crates because I was too short to reach the mic by the way I should say the way I said that is if I'm some insider yeah I only know that term from like reading it I have no idea if that's actually what I it's called it in what the it's, industry I've always heard apple box apple, apple box, box. Yeah. Okay. there you go yeah apple box so yeah anyway so that was cool because Allison Janney was like really nice. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, like, I just adore this woman. Like, she's so sweet. And then like seeing that her making it so big mm -hmm. is so nice because you know that kids like have an instinct for who's a good person right. and not. And I just remember thinking this is a good person. Yeah. Because she like helped me do a vocal warm up and shared her dressing room really graciously with me and was just like a really sweet presence. And then she, you know, is huge now. Right. So, but she wasn't at the time. And you went, you continued to perform yeah, with him, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I did it like into my 20s. And uh, I really think because of the show is how I made the transition to stand up because he had me writing for myself mm -hmm. on the show. Like he had, he wrote a script called, just called Erica. And it was basically just a monologue, which is really close to stand up. And he would have me kind of write it myself, you know, take my life stories and like, you know, or dating stories and make it into like a monologue. Mm -hmm. And so he was sort of training me to do stand up without my even realizing it. So it sort of made sense, you know? And so then how did you specifically make the transition? It took me years to make it because I wasn't like one of those stand-ups who was like, I was born to do this. You know, like I kind of had to learn how to do it. And I met my manager because I found Maria Bamford. I actually found her web series before her stand-up and I just really related to her as a persona. Like mm -hmm. I was just like, she's so different and interesting. And I really connected with her. And so I looked up who her manager was because at the time I had a manager who was like, 
doing horror, you know, he was like a horror film manager <laughs> and he was only getting me horror films. Like that's all I was doing. And I didn't even know that I was that funny. And so I met, so I wrote to him and I said, I'm a young Maria Bamford. And then we met and he's like, what's your dream? And I was like, I want to be on SNL. And he's like, get a different dream. Because <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. But I could see you doing Because you don't up. do impressions, right? Yeah, I don't do impressions. I'm not like a sketch type mm-hmm. actress. And uh, so he's like, but I could see you doing stand-up. And so even then, even after he suggested I do it, two years later, I actually started. Because I was so frustrated with acting. It just wasn't really going anywhere. And because I had been performing since I was a kid, I was like... I feel so lost without an outlet to perform. I can't just have my outlet be like an audition a week mm-hmm. for five minutes. It just felt frustrating. So I really started out of frustration and I just did an open mic and then I got sort of hooked on it. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's uh rephrase. Would you say your stand-up career is taking off pretty quickly? I think compared to people, yes. But I also think that the time that I've been performing sort of added you know Mm -hmm. like added time for me because you know some people were like you just came out of the blue and I was like I've been putting in time in performing and writing and acting since I was 10 like it's not really like it came completely out of the blue how how are you treated by their comics like are they like do, do some of them treat you like it came out of the blue well I still get a little bit of the side like well you're mostly an actress right and I'm like uh no I don't ever I barely book acting work I act in things once in a great while, but I'm making a living doing stand-up, so I consider myself a comic, Mm -hmm. and that's where I feel like my strengths are. But I still get the little bit like, you know, like comics who've been doing it for 20 years are kind of like, but you're mostly an actress, right? And I'm like, no, really not. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think overall they're supportive, but there are a couple that kind of – and they don't mean to insult. They think it's a good thing like because I think a lot of them do want to make the transition to acting. Mm -hmm. And I'm almost the opposite where I'm like, I just want to focus on stand-up. I'll act if it comes – you know, if the opportunity comes up. But like I my I really do feel like my passion is Mm stand-up. And what is – can you tell me about Bring the Funny? Yeah. I'm not allowed to say much because I can't like say how I did or anything. But um, but but I'm – What's the format of it? It's a competition. Is this the first year of it or has it already – This this is the first season. Yeah. Yeah. And it already did air. um, The premiere aired. I'm just – I'm not on it till next week. Got it. Okay. The 30th. Yeah. Yeah. So what's – so it's a competition. Yes. All right. <laughs> is that all you can no, say? No, no, I can say I can say uh, the the judges are are Chrissy Teigen, um, Keenan Thompson, and Jeff Foxworthy, mm-hmm. and it's not just stand up. They have sketch variety and stand up, so it's sort of like you know everyone's competing against you know everyone's just trying to be funny, basically. Um, I can say I really regret the pants I wore. Why? What are they like? <laughs> just like I just looking at photos now, and I'm like, I feel like I'm having a moment, like like maybe what Ellen had when she was on. I don't know if you ever saw her shirt that she wore mm. on her first appearance on Johnny Carson. It's like really billowy, you know. It's like a really. So I wore these pants that are like these high waisted pants, and I just can't. Some people can pull off high waisted. Mm-hmm. I look pregnant, and I'm like, oh great! So my first network debut, I look pregnant, and people are gonna be like, is she pregnant? And I'm like, I'm like embarrassed about the pants. And I, I, I even 
said, I even said, I don't really want to wear these pants. Like, and they're like, well, we already taped the rehearsal mm. and we had they, did they put you in the pants or? Well, no, that's my own fault. So it's like, there's no one I can be mad at except myself because I bought these pants and I was like, this is a great idea because these look really cool when I tried them on, but I haven't had a chance to wear them. Well, it turns out there's a reason I didn't wear them. <laughs> the reason is because they, I shouldn't be wearing them. Do you ever do that where you're like, oh, let me take out the one pair of pants that I never wear mm-hmm. for a special occasion yeah. when really there's a reason you never wore those pants. I've had ex- I've had experiences where I've brought like for a TV thing where they're like, hey, bring some o- clothing options. Mm-hmm. And so then I bring options. Yes. And then they choose something that I don't want to wear. And I think, why did I, why did I bring yes. it though? It's like I wanted, yeah. I wanted to give the, I wanted, I was trying to please them by giving them options like they asked for, yes. but I overperformed and gave them options yes. I don't care for. Yes. Or I feel like I almost take like certain special occasions as this is when I'm going to bring out something that yeah. I've never worn before. So if I'm you packing know, like, for a trip occasionally, I'll yeah. be like, maybe this is the time to bring this thing that's been in my closet for two years that still has the yeah. tags in. It's like, no. It's like, no, <laughs> no. You, there's reason it still has the tags right. on it, you know? Right. And I'm trying to not be vain because it's like I'm a comic. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be like, okay, it's not about the way you look. But I, as like my network just to a view, human, yeah, it feels kind of like, <laughs> oh man, this is the first outfit I'm wearing on TV. Are you sure it's as bad as you think it is? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, is is this something that you share with your manager? Yes. So I shared it with everybody. It's just it's my own fault for not sticking to my guns more because. I knew right away I shouldn't be wearing the pants. I wasn't comfortable in them. But somehow I like got talked into the mm. wearing the pants. And like even someone was like, we really think Chrissy's going to like the pants. <laughs> <laughs> Did she? I don't think she cared about, you know, she, she didn't, nobody right, said, not a nobody show. said anything about my pants, you know? So it's not like it was became a big thing, but I just didn't feel my best self right. in the pants. And I didn't feel like these represent my image that I want to portray on national television, right. you know? And so now it's kind of like, I just feel like I look kind of weird in them. And I'm, I'm sure no one else cares as much as I do, but I'm just like a little bit in mad at myself. About, yeah. I'm mad at myself for not being like, I'm not comfortable in these pants. I'm not wearing these pants. So you tried to <laughs> not wear them. And then they said that they already taped the rehearsals. So you had to kind of, yeah. And I feel like there might've been a way around it. If I, if I really like stuck to my guns, but I was sort of like, it's fine. Like, it's tough. I mean, yeah, cause I, I, I've talked about that on this show before being sort of cowed on sets because I don't want to be a difficult and I don't want to be a diva. Yeah. And I defer to people who know better. Better, but then at the end you're like damn it i should have just i should have right, pushed I but it's hard have. i find and i also feel like there was a part of my brain that really wanted to be able to pull off the pants like i feel like <laughs> like i feel like i've seen people wear those kinds of pants where i'm like she looks so cool and hip and i think i really were wanted. they like cinched high waist yeah they're not cinched they're like jeans okay. that were like high-waisted jeans but they're like tight around my belly. So mm-hmm. I look kind of pregnant. Like it's just like there's like a bulge <laughs> with my stomach. Right. And it's just not the most flattering look for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I feel like someone who has like a flat belt, like who doesn't have any curves, like just flat or like, mm-hmm. you know, like a tiny waist or something would look good in those pants. But I just like I don't think that they're the right shape for me. <laughs> I'm 
sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> I understand. You know, you know what I mean? Yes. So I'm kind of like, and, and then I just feel like I'm nitpicking. Like I'm just focused on, that's mm-hmm. all I can think about right. now. I'm not even thinking about my performance. I'm just like the wrong pants. I feel like it's actually very honest what you're saying. Really? Yeah. Aww. I think a lot of people wouldn't admit all that. Really? But it, I think it's very human. Yeah. And it's very, very honest. Oh, that's nice. Were you able to get it out of your head while performing at least? Yes. I think when I was that's performing, good. it was out of my head. I'll, yeah, I think so. I that's think good. it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I do think maybe, I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Like, I haven't seen it yet. But like, it's possible it, they may have made me a little bit stiff. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I might have been a little bit more relaxed in a different outfit. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess you just learn, you know, it's like everything is a learning thing. And like now I know just wear something you're comfortable in. Like that's the most important thing is that you're comfortable because then you'll look better if you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much about like, I'm going to bring out some weird thing that I never yes. get to wear. Yeah. You know, it's like. Now I just know and I don't I'm not I'm only blaming myself for it because I really do think if I stuck to my guns, I could have worn something different. But like what you said, it's like I brought their they were my pants. It's not like they were like pushing. Here's here's an outfit for you. They're like, no, we're picking the outfit you brought. Yeah, I know. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I look back. I used to do a thing on when I lived in New York. I used to do a thing on morning news every week. And I was like going to dazzle them with all my different color shirts. (laughs) I am someone, my soul is someone who wears, in my, in my soul of souls, I am someone who wears black as I'm wearing right now. Right. But I remember I wore this orange, uh, shirt under a blazer one day and it looked terrible on me. Like it looked like flesh tones, which is like, it looked like I had like a weird doll body with no parts just under a jacket. It looked awful. And I think like, why did I decide to debut the orange? I've never, I don't like the color orange. I've never worn orange. Why did I decide to wear it on TV the first time? Why did, was that where I was going to try it, going to trot this one out? It's almost like that's, you feel somehow like you're going to be a different person Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. You know, like you're going to put on almost like you're acting like I'm going to be this person. Yeah. I'm going to be the person who wears orange now. Mm -hmm. Like that's cool. Right. Instead of just being like, wait, who am I really? Like, what do I? Well, that's a question. That is, yes. That's like even a deeper question. Who am I really? Yeah, who as am it- I really? And who do I feel comfortable being? Mm-hmm. As opposed to like who they're trying to t- be. Like, what girl are they trying to make me versus who am I really? That is such a huge shift that I had. Um, I had it ar- like around the time that I no longer needed to have it anymore, I think. Because I don't. I used to audition a ton. I don't audition that much. And I always feel like I should just call my agent and be like, hey, I would like to audition more, but I don't want to audition more. So I'm actually okay with it. Right. (laughs) I am and I'm not. I want to be someone who wants to audition more, but I actually don't really want to. Right. So that being said, I think that I used to approach all the stuff like that with this attitude of like, who are they looking for? I will be that. As opposed to, I'm just going to go in and be myself because if that's what they want, then they found me. Yes. And it's take, it took me a long time to realize that. Where are you with all of that stuff? I'm definitely cl- – like, stand-up helped me a lot with that. Like, now, usually, I'll go into an audition room and I'll just be myself. And, yeah, then it's like – then they know who they're dealing – Like, right. yeah, I used to also do that. I used to also – it's funny how clothing actually has a lot more meaning than we realize mm-hmm. because I used to do that where I would – if I had an audition, I'd go shopping mm-hmm. and get a shirt that was that person. Even if I already had the, the right shirt, right. it somehow felt like, oh, no, I have to be 
a different person mm-hmm. instead of just going and being yourself. So I think I'm better at that with auditions. That happened, it kind of backfired the other day because I had an audition for like this suspenseful dark movie and I was too funny. Like, and I, but I was just like, that's just how I am. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not like trying to be, I wasn't trying to be funny, but he's like, oh, you got all these laughs and it's a dark, it's a dark suspense movie. So you, it just doesn't fit. But then I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm also a comic. So I should be funny. That's who I am. So mm-hmm. then if the right thing comes and I'll still be funny. Right. I mean, that's like a better problem to have, I think, than like yes. them not knowing who you are, being like, we, we, we saw you trying to be that character, but it wasn't, you're still right. not the character. But also, we don't know who you are for something else. Right, right. So. I need to tell you guys about Joybird. With Joybird, you get one-of-a-kind furniture crafted to your unique taste. Does your furniture bring you joy? Are you missing a couch or chair that says, this is my home? We all want a haven, a place that feels uniquely you. Joybird empowers you to create the furniture and space that brings you joy. Uh, the stuff that you can get and make on Joybird is amazing. It is super stylish uh, and they have a bunch of different styles and they have a bunch of different fabrics. Uh, they have cool colors. You can get a sofa in aquatic blue or indigo. I went through a phase where I'm like, you know what my house needs? It needs a dark blue velvet sofa. And I still have not brought that to fruition. But Joybird is where I would go. (laughs) (laughs) You sound angry. (laughs) I'm angry about it, Tony, because my living room is not a haven. Well, maybe and it, it could it could be more of a haven. I know a place you can go. Joybird, yeah, yeah. Uh, love seats in the hottest red and inviting coral, or even bubblegum pink. If you can dream it, Joybird can make it a reality. From rich buttery leather to the plushest velvet you've ever felt, find the fabric and texture that's right for you. Uh, this is quality handcrafted furniture. Each piece is made by care. And made by hand with care and precision, uh, and a beautiful selection of outdoor sofas as well as indoors, lounge chairs, tables, and more. Um, there's so, just go to the website. You will covet all of it, and then you can make it uniquely your own. See how Joybird can help you design your dream space. Find your joy today at joybird.com slash Rosen. Create the furniture that brings you joy today at joybird.com slash Rosen. Go to Joybird, like joy and like bird like caca joybird i stole that from someone i stole describing a bird that way but anyway and that's okay she's she can live with it go to joybird.com slash rosen do i still sound angry because i'm ang- i'm fired up i'm angry and i'm fired up i didn't and take it as anger i was it was more of a why did that happen <laughs> Why did what happen? My mentioning that I stole that from someone else? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm letting it all hang out, you guys. I'm. That's what happens when I talk about Joybird. That's, hey, that's fair. Go to joybird.com slash Rosen and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order by using the code Rosen. Joybird.com slash Rosen, code Rosen. Okay. So you were very into ballet and in the LA Times article about you, you said that you regret it. No, you know, that was the only sort of misworded sentence in the entire thing, which is I don't regret doing ballet. I regret quitting. Okay. I Yeah. So, That's how I read it. Yeah. But then I don't know he, why. That was the only, because I loved, I loved the writer. I loved the article because I felt like everything was so accurate. There was just, that was the only sentence. It's so funny that you pinpoint that sentence. I, that was the only sentence I felt like that's a tiny bit not, not what I meant. Not how you meant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was how. Ha- 
I like there was like a syntax error, like I, yes. I or, or a parsing error. Like I read it a couple times because it the it said something like you know you you were super into ballet and you did it until you were sixteen uh, till you quit at, at sixteen or something like that. And then it's the, the quote is I regret it. And I, yeah. my, it re, I thought you were saying you regret quitting, but then his next line makes it, I forget. Yeah, I, I said, really didn't need to take everyone through it since so I'm funny. not taking them through it well. <laughs> but the next line is like, yeah, at that age, you get, obs- I forget it. Like he interpreted it as, I, I regret ballet, yes. but really I regret quitting because the reason I quit was because I realized I wasn't going to be the best mm-hmm. at it. Instead of being like, you know, you can just do it for fun and still enjoy the doing of it. But nobody, because I was so immature and young, I didn't understand you can enjoy doing slang even if you're not great at mm-hmm. doing it. So I quit cold turkey dramatically and I never went back. And I that's the part that's I regret. That's the part you regret. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, <laughs> what were the circumstances around the dramatic quitting? It really was like it was a series of two things at the same time. One was I was so image conscious. I was so I was probably slightly anorexic. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a class where the whole class was ruined because I wasn't in the skinny mirror for the whole class. I was in the mirror that made me look a little bit fat to myself. And I remember thinking that's not good like that. This is this is so image based it's mm-hmm. i'm not having a good class because i feel fat all the whole class because i'm in the wrong mirror so that was one clue and then another clue is like there's one girl be- that i felt was be- there were probably a couple but in my head there was one that was way better than i was and i was like i'm never gonna surpass her i'm never gonna get my leg up to my head i'm never gonna i'm just never gonna be that girl because i wasn't very flexible that mm-hmm. was kind of my biggest challenge and uh and then i was just like if i can't be the best what's the point and then I just quit. Mm. And nobody, you know, nobody talked me out of it. My sister kind of talked me into it because she had also quit. And I think she was sort of talking me into what she did a little mm. bit. Not in a bad way, just in a way that she she thought it was like the healthy choice to not do it anymore. And I was also in high school and I felt like people were doing different things. And I was starting to get interested in like maybe theater. And, and, then, I, and then I joined track and started running and... I just like never went back. Mm-hmm. But I do think it was a little dramatic. And be, do you feel like it was dramatic because it was kind of like uh, in the heat of the moment you quit? Yeah. And also like, like, like I, went, I went from dancing, you know, every single day for like five hours a day to nothing. Five hours a day. What was your schedule? I don't remember, but we would have all these different kinds of classes. So mm-hmm. we would have, you know, like we would have point and partnering. And, you know, I mean, I was like on a track to become – a professional dancer mm-hmm. and I would go to camp, you know ballet camp and I was like really into it so when I quit it was like I mean now I look back and I'm like that's kind of sad you know that I felt that I had to just completely walk away from right. something I'd invested all this time into and like a huge discipline that you you know can't ever get back once you quit do you ever dance anymore? No. I'll do yoga. Like I do yoga and I like movement, mm-hmm. but I'll never and I will never go to the ballet. Like I'm like traumatized. I won't ever ever go. Why? It's just it brings back too much of like a weird like it's like a weird trigger for me. Mm-hmm. But but what I'm wondering is what is the what is the the feeling that it I that think it's like regret. Like it, mm. it brings back a sadness of like like I still it's still in your muscle memory. Uh-huh. But the fact that you never would do it again is kind of sad. Right. But you couldn't 
Uh, I can't I don't know. watch. I can't watch it. But you have no desire to like put on your point shoes and. I don't have point shoes. No, I mean that's to go like, buy point shoes and. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Yeah, yeah. no desire or just to take do a class it or anything. No, none. What if like you? What if you did? And then it. And um, I'm totally pushing something that like I have no business pushing. I if you don't want to if you don't want to dance, you don't have to dance. <laughs> don't but yeah, make me dance. But I'm just saying. What if? What if you did? And all of a sudden, like, like black your chakras aligned. Shut my chakras mm-hmm. aligned. I don't know how that. I don't know what that means. But it's I'm all bounced back. Yeah, like, like what if you're like I feel like me again. Oh, weird. That would be so weird. I just don't expect that to happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Quite possibly it wouldn't. Uh, do you, have you ever danced? Oh, when I was little. When uh-huh. I was little, little, yeah. Do you do it now? No. Do you do yoga? No, I don't do I just, I, I ride a bike. Okay. Uh, and I had a trainer for a little while before I got pregnant with my first kid. And um, Didn't you do a dance routine at a live show? Oh, my God, though? I did. Yes. What? <laughs> okay, so... I forgot about that. It's so funny that I forgot. I blocked it. You I wasn't blocked- even there, and I remember. We're yeah. all blocking out dance. Memories. We are. I know. It's very traumatic. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I periodically do my podcast live, and I always struggle in a way that I don't feel like other podcasters do, except that then when I talk to them privately, they admit that they do as well. I struggle with like, how do I translate the podcast to a live setting? Because people, I think they enjoy the intimacy of a podcast, but in a live setting, you like, I want to perform. I feel like I need to perform. And so then I'm like going for broad jokes more than drawing out. But is it interesting enough if I'm just like drawing someone out in the same way that I would do that here? Like that feels like it's too small, but then I go, well, but you know, if you go to see the live taping of a television show, you're not getting anything different. It's just the fun of seeing it done live. At the same time, I still feel like... So I was like... So anyway, I talked to... Do you know Jimmy Pardo? Have you done his show? Yeah, I love Jimmy. Um, And me too. And so does Tony. Mm-hmm. I'm doing we it are. tomorrow. You are? I am, yeah. Oh, nice. We have the same manager, Jimmy. And okay. I. Yeah. Um. So I was talking to him and he's like, you know, I went through all of that too. They really just want to see the podcast. They yes, really do. That's and I'm like, what I believe. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. However... I'm going to hire a choreographer and I'm going to do, I'm going to do a dance at Sketchfest. <laughs> so I did. And I think the not, it was like, it went really well. Yeah. The, I think the novelty of it. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like I was purpose- it just you, just me. Oh my just God. Me. That's amazing. Um, and I wore tap shoes because oh I own tap shoes. <laughs> oh my God. They're a little small, but I wore tap shoes and I tapped and uh, I had songs for, th- I had, uh, I have like like segments and regular songs that I do for the segments. So I danced to three different songs. And then I also had like a, I had Janine Garofalo on my show and Matt Nathanson. And it was great. It was good. It um, sounds amazing. Like, but it's then like I'm a like, whole Broadway production. I tried. I wore yeah. a, a sequin jacket. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is so cool. It was I that that particular show I was like oh I finally like I figured it out like I felt really good about everything but then yeah. it's like well what do I do for the next one right how and do, do I do I do that again that? right yeah. I don't know um and do you know um Catherine Burns she's like the a comedy choreographer she no. does she, she did Crazy Ex Girlfriend and Key and Peele and tons like anytime you see choreography in comedy she probably did it um I didn't have her I hired 
almost more because of the story. I wanted the story of like, I went on Thumbtack and I hired a choreographer and I really did. And (laughs) what was her name? It was Mindy. I want to see this. Did you you tape it? I want to see it. It's, it's, uh, it's on. It's in my Instagram somewhere. Yeah, and I'm I gonna, never think I'm ever put it on YouTube. It yeah, I could send you a link. Cause it's that's, silly. I think it's, it's very so silly funny dancing. that you like, went I'm not to, a good dancer. You went to such an extreme. You're like, I, I mean, I don't know whether to like emote more in the podcast or, <laughs> or do they just want the podcast or do they want a dance routine? <laughs> I think they want a dance routine. <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to wallow in the gray area. Yeah, I just yeah, went yeah, you're all just the like, way. <laughs> It was fun though. It like really ate up all that, all the nervous energy of like, am I enough? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then did you, be- do you, did you just relax into the podcast once you started it? Like, yes. did you just, yeah. then, then the podcast almost like you could like make the whole opening be crazy so that you could make the podcast yes. just what it is. Totally. Yeah. 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 But then like, <laughs> that's funny. Th- like throughout, you know, I periodically got up and did my little dance and then like, oh, really? to the next segment. Yeah. That's so cute. It was very silly. This is very silly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh, you said that you have tap shoes. Did you yeah. already have okay. tap shoes? So I think this was a dream way waiting to happen. It. She was waiting for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> like many years before, before I moved to New York, I worked at the OC Weekly, which happened to be in a little business park where Jimmy DeFore Dance Center was, where I had taken dance classes when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Oh. So as an adult in my early twenties, when I realized that was there, I was like, and I don't, I don't know how, it, I don't know how it came up. I don't know if it was my idea or someone else's idea, but I organized or it was organized that three of us would go take a tap class. Uh, and I remember we couldn't get this writer, Anthony. He wouldn't do it because he referred to tapping as the headache dance. <laughs> but I was like, fine, you're missing out on the fun. Uh, so this other woman and I bought tap shoes and then Dave just did it in his socks. And it was the three of us and this 14-year-old girl who was – she was not a writer. She just was taking the class as well. She was really the teacher's pet. We only, we only did it once. We did it once. Um, and the funny thing is that I remember like changing into sweats and I was like going to really, you know, so I could really move. And it's like, I did not break a sweat like at all. (laughs) It was a very contained class, but it was still fun. But I had the tap shoes from then. That's, that's this whole thing. Um, tap seems really hard to me. That seems like the hardest one, you know, because it's so rhythmical. Right. I never did that one. Oh, never at all. Never. No, I did like other kind, like mock, uh, what was that one? What's the one char- like character dancing? Oh, it's like Spanish dancing. Yeah, you know? we did, you did modern. Jazz? Yeah, we did jazz. By the way, I should um, um, edit my answer that I would take a modern dance class, but I not would never do again. ballet again. I would do modern though. I would do modern or something that's like yeah, mm-hmm. looser. And you said that you feel like you were anorexic. Yeah. I had a weird eating. I had super weird eating habits. I would eat breakfast for like an hour. I would eat like an entire box of cereal and then not eat all day. And then I would eat cereal at night again for like dinner. And I would only eat foods that had like no nutritional value, like cereal, sugar stuff Mm -hmm. that would keep you going. But like because of the sugar, not because it had like any, there was no value. Mm -hmm. There's no protein or anything. And were you... Were you super skinny? Yeah, I was like, I weighed like 80 pounds oh my gosh. in high school. Were people worried about you? Yeah, I think my parents were at one point. My mom, uh, someone told her to buy like Snickers or something. She was like trying to get me to eat Snickers all the time. 
And no, would you? Not really. Yeah. Um, and what are, what's your eating like now? I'm pretty healthy. Yeah. I mean, I eat like I definitely try to eat protein and um, eat less sugar than I did when I was younger. Do you feel like you have disordered eating now, though, or issues with it? Not really. Not not so much. I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm aware of it, but I definitely think I'm like pretty healthy mm. as far as. You know, I don't eat like typical three meals a day, but I don't think you necessarily need three meals a day. I think you need like you need to eat when you're hungry and I Mm -hmm. eat when I'm hungry. Do you think the uh, eating disorder back? How old were you then? Um, Like like 16 or 15. How did um, how did what role did ballet play in that? Oh, like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone. I think like all the girls had issues with eating, you know. My friend Renee, who comes on the show a lot, um, was in a dance program where they would weigh all the women, and they were it was co- I think it was college. They would I think she got kicked out because she like gained too much weight oh or something. Oh my gosh! Like, yeah, yeah. The teachers would be like, "Don't eat too much turkey," like over Thanksgiving holiday. You know, like they would say things like that. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the Russians would be like. Don't eat anymore, you know. So it was encouraged. Yeah, it was definitely encouraged. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also it's hard as a girl because it's like your body's naturally changing. And like I, I think I still have issue like body issues, not necessarily with eating, but with definitely being like, what do I do with boobs? You know, like that kind of thing where it's like because as, as a teenage girl, when you start getting boobs, as, if you do ballet, you don't want boobs. Like that's not. Is it because you know, will it like, throw off your. Why why do you not want boobs? Because you want to be, you don't want a body when, you know, like the best ballet bodies are not, have no curves. Mm -hmm. They're just like completely flat everywhere. Is that um, an aesthetic thing or is it like it's the, in order to be the best, it's best to not have curves? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. You know, like I think it's easier to move gracefully if you don't have any obstruct you know if you have nothing in your way and right it's kind of like a stick thing moving around but like you know alvin ailey or like other companies that are more modern based they definitely had more of a body but yeah i think it's a classical training thing it's like that's just how like that those were the role models you look at these russian ballet dancers and they're all stick skinny right and they have no curves when did you move to LA? Like 12 years ago. And you you said you were in New York before that? Yeah. How was that? I liked it. I'm glad I did New York to LA versus LA to New York. Mm-hmm. How come? I think it's an easier transition than LA to New York. Right. I don't, like, I don't know if I could live in New York again, even though I love it. And it's a very create. I feel very creative when I visit there. But I do think it's a harder lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. The subway and everything. It's right. It's a lot. You have really funny stuff about uh, being in your 20s and in your 30s in, in on your album. Um, what You're in your 30s now. What mm-hmm. were your 20s like? Uh, just total chaos. Like I, I've added some bits to it now where I'm like, I feel like in your 20s, you're just trying on different people. Like you're like, oh, I guess I'll try this person. I'll try to be this girl or maybe I'm this girl. Mm-hmm. And then your 30s, you're like this. Okay, I'll just be this person forever now. Like you settle on a per- you settle on who you are. I feel like in your 20s, you really don't know who you are. Right. You know, and I had a lot of like 
chaotic relationships. And, and also I didn't find stand up till my late twenties. So I feel like a lot of my twenties, I, w- I had no idea what I really wanted mm-hmm. to do. Uh, I just was kind of doing what I thought I should do. And, uh, I don't know. It felt like a very like scattered time. Mm-hmm. I'm always mystified by people who are able to marry their high school sweetheart or something because it's like, oh, I was a totally different person then. Yes, totally different. I don't know how people – I feel like people settle into like – they're just like – they settle into a life kind of mm-hmm. early and they mm-hmm. don't push themselves after that in a lot of ways. Well, that's a complimentary to us view of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, some people really, I do think some people find their real soulmate young, Mm -hmm. you know, but that seems very difficult. What were, you said you had a lot of chaotic relationships. Yeah, I mean, I actually had a very nice relationship in my very early 20s, a really good relationship, but it was sort of too soon. Mm -hmm. And it was the only guy I ever lived with. And then after that, I had kind of, after that, it all kind of went haywire. Was there a pattern? Um, definitely falling for guys who are not a, like not emotionally available for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. What do you think that was about? Um, I don't know. That's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> well, it's a big reason for sure. Because I, you know, I would like a real relationship. Like I'd like a good, healthy one. But mm-hmm. I tend to fall for guys who are just like completely unavailable and different different forms of unavailability. Right. Yes, I uh, I experienced that rich pageant as well. Yes, because some are just uh, in a relationship, uh-huh. and um, some just uh, are emotionally in a different relationship. Yeah, I <laughs> well, for me, lot, that's what it was. I would get a lot of like emotionally unavailable, like a guy that would be like there for one second and then just disappear, mm-hmm. you know, or gone. Yeah, yeah. So you'd have moments of connecting and then they'd kind of not be there. Right. Come back and then not be there. Well, and I, for me, it was always like the highs are so high. Like when yes, they're there. When and there's then when a connection, you're just like, you still want that connection. But right. then it goes away. But then I feel like it's also on me because I'm not falling for guys who are available to begin with. There's mm-hmm. something about the unavailability that I find attractive. Right. So that must be on me too. That must be something that I'm project, you know, projecting or do you find that you're replicating a relationship with your parents? Because that's what I found that like, it was always about trying to like, my parents are physically there, but they're not always emotionally there. Yeah. I think I find that a little bit. Like, I also think that I, I tend to put other people's needs before my own. And I think like through therapy, I'm learning that I've kind of done that with my parents in some ways that Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't aware of at the time. But like because my dad has a disease and things like that, it's like you you naturally as a kid will put his feel you know like you'll put their yeah. feelings above your own, and so I tend to do that in all my relationships. It's always like how are they like I'm hyper sensitive to other people's feelings, but not aware of my own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How old were you when your dad was diagnosed? Before I was born. Oh yeah, so I, my whole life. And is is he in a wheelchair? Yeah. And has he been in a wheelchair your whole life? Yeah. Uh well, no. Uh I think in high school he became yeah. He was on crutches pretty much. Mm-hmm. So That's hard. Yeah, for a kid. And for him. You- <laughs> for mostly for him. Right. Right. <laughs> Do you worry about him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's very incapacitated. He can't, 
you know, but he has a very good attitude mm-hmm. and like he's amazing with he never complains. He's he like his attitude in the world is extremely admirable. Like, I don't know how he does it. Mm-hmm. He never complains. He's like he reads like you wouldn't believe because it's all he can really do. He mm-hmm. reads. He's like re- right now he's reading all the Shakespeare plays. Wow. Yeah. But can- he can't move his hands. He can't feed himself. He can't. Who if takes, he has a scratch, he can't itch it. Uh, like it's, you know, I mean, it's insane. Who who uh, takes care of him? My mom. My mom takes care of him, and then they have this amazing nurse named Ruby, mm-hmm. who's like my dad jokes is his second wife. <laughs> so then, I, if I call, I'll be like, "Is is my second mom there?" <laughs> <laughs> so he's is he uh, able to communicate fine? Yeah, he's his voice sort of like comes and goes a little mm-hmm. now because like at night it, he'll lose sort of his vocal energy, right? But, but overall, yeah, and his brain is very sharp and. Yeah, he's do- he definitely can talk. That's so hard. Because yeah. I know with MS, there's relapse, remit, or progressive, right? Yeah, this is like the progressive kind. Mm. Yeah. I don't really under To me, it- they seem like different diseases. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still convinced they're not the same. They seem so different. You know, like you'll see someone with the relapsing kind, you're like, how is this the same disease that my dad had? Like it just, right. they don't look anything alike. Right. One person can't move and one person- Has is- periods of time where they're yeah. okay. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't I don't see how that is the same disease. Right. They seem like totally different to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to take some questions from listeners. Yeah. Um, is this live or is this- Oh yeah! No. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's live. Oh no 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 no! Sorry, no, no. <laughs> I was like, I was what? Like, is this happening right now? <laughs> Don't you guys see the audience? No. <laughs> when you said "is this live," I thought you meant "is like have we been going?" Yes, we oh, are yeah, recording yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. No one has heard it yet besides <laughs> us. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, I uh, just said all of that was off the record. <laughs> I thought that was all. No. <laughs> the past two hours, I said off the record. <laughs> don't record this. Definitely not live. <laughs> um, wait, can we go back to something though? Yeah. So when you decided to quit ballet, you talked about your sister's input. Where did your parents have? An, did you talk to them about it at all? Or I don't recall. That's what's so weird is like I think I was so strong minded and stubborn. My parents sort of gave up giving me advice because I would just do what I wanted anyway. So my parents sort of were like, "All right, she's just she's her own person. Let her do her own thing." I also dropped out of college, and my dad was like, "All right, if that's what you want to do, you know." They always kind of let me just do mm-hmm. my like figure out my life as I went. What were you intending to study in college? I was a cello major, so. And do you do you ever play cello anymore? Yeah, I still have my cello and I still play that. So mm-hmm. I didn't quit that cold turkey. I still enjoy that. Right. Yeah. Um. You but you said that you felt like you were pursuing cello to sort of follow in your mom's footsteps. Yeah, that was more her thing. I think I was so bad at reading music, and so that was frustrating for me because I would just play and like I would sit in the back of the orchestra like trying to learn it Mm -hmm. and it took me forever because I learned by ear right? and I couldn't read music very well but I wasn't bad I just wasn't like great Mm -hmm. it's so interesting being the child of performers because I feel like usually and this is I don't know why it's usually it's like well I've had um I had Kelly Carlin so George Carlin's daughter on oh cool um I'm trying to think of if I've talked to anyone where it was like the mom who was the star. Yeah, it's, it's different because my parents were always like, find what you love to do, find your passion. And most parents are like, get a job, get a right. real job, 
do your taxes. You know, mm-hmm. my parents are kind of like, I mean, they're like, do your taxes, but because my dad was a CPA. <laughs> <laughs> but they were kind of like, they were always kind of like more dreamer types. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really give me the fundamentals, which is the opposite of a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. Like most parents are like, they sit down with their kids, they teach them how to do things. My right. parents were like, well, you have no idea either. But <laughs> definitely find what you love, you know? And so it was almost like the opposite of most parents. Yeah. Uh, do you love acting? I do love acting, but I still feel like stand-up I love more mm-hmm. just because of the immediacy of it, you know, and because you're more creative in it. And I think I'm a writer. Like, I think I definitely, like, I write every day mm-hmm. and I always have. And so I think I'm definitely a writer, too. Um, are you disciplined about the writing? Like, do you have hours? No, I, I think I need to be more disciplined about it. I definitely write every day, but not at the same time and not the same thing. You know, I kind of just try to write something every mm-hmm. day. Do you are you disciplined about it? No. No. No, I should be. Um I admire that when people are like I write from 9 a.m. to yeah. noon every day, but I'm kind of more just like I write as I go. I have periodically tried to write morning pages where I just like That's, first thing in the morning I sit down and I like that a lot. It sort of functions like meditation in terms of like I feel better, but I can't make myself do it. Yeah. Sometimes, like, some of my favorite comics, like, I love Jeremy Hotz, and he's like, all you do is, if you think it's, like, funny, write it down. That's what, that's all you have to do. <laughs> it's not, like, some big, like, mystical thing. Right. Yeah. Do you carry a notebook with you? Yeah, you, you, all oh, the you do. time. Yeah, I always have a notebook. Um, okay, let's take some questions from listeners. Uh, I have solicited questions on Twitter and Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's um, behind the scenes content, bonus episodes, and you can submit questions and get them in ahead of everyone else and also other exciting rewards. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. So this is a crazy, almost clairvoyant question given our conversation about your pants. But Whitney C <laughs> says, what's your favorite item of clothing? Oh, weird. Isn't that super weird? That is weird. Yeah. My favorite item of clothing that I have right now. Um... I think it's a jumper that I have that I bought. It's kind of expensive, but it's very comfortable. And it's like kind of like a it's like a dark forest green. And it has this cool like neck thing that's kind of like like a cool. It just has like a cool style to Mm -hmm. it, but it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I could wear it like as a dress up thing or casual. And it's all one piece. And it's like linen-ish. Have you performed in it? No. Do you think you will? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe. What's your? I don't think it's a performance outfit, really. Mm. I usually just perform in jeans and like a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. I usually dress kind of down. Right. I debated about that. I'm like, should I dress up more on stage? I don't know yet. What's your concern if you were to? Which is not me telling you what to do. Just that it looks like I'm trying too hard a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it sort of pushes. Like I think my whole thing is like trying to bring the audience to me and like feel like we're friends. We're you know, right? It's casual. And relaxed. And I feel like if I put on an outfit, it feels like there's like we're removed a little. Mm, that makes Something sense. Like that. Okay. Diana Dow says, oh, wow. I just saw her in Houston. Give her my love. She'll know me, I think. I'm on a single-minded mission to be the best comedy audience member I can be. <laughs> and I really think I helped make that crazy set. 
Oh yeah, she was like this sweet you- woman. I think if it's who I think she's think who she- I think it is, she had a crazy story where she and her husband were both widowed. And then they met and then they have these like really sweet kids and she brought her whole family. She brought her to not her whole family. They have like five kids together. So I was calling them the Brady Bunch. And then she had a <laughs> teenage daughter who had her, her boyfriend at the show. And she, uh, I asked how they met. They met on Tinder. And then she was saying that she took photos in roller skates. And I was like, how old are you? She's like 19. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> like roller skates. They were like a really sweet family. And oh, she's sweet. right. She had a really good laugh, real <laughs> positive energy. I got a, I, It was a very small turnout. And I was like, I told the manager, I was like, I'm not doing more than 40 minutes. And I ended up doing an hour because they were so good. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. Um, so do you do a lot of crowd work? Only only when it's a smaller crowd. Like, yeah, when it's a smaller crowd, it feels weird to not do it. Because mm-hmm. you feel kind of like they're, they don't want just jokes said at them. They want to feel a part of something. Right. So, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll do it if it's a smaller crowd. Lee Bruns says, do you ever drop a joke, not because it isn't hitting anymore, but because you just don't feel like telling it anymore? Yes, all the time. And also, if you don't feel like telling it, it's very hard to sound to <laughs> bless you. Excuse it's me. very hard to get a laugh if you don't feel like I mean, the, the audience can feel it if you mm-hmm. don't want to tell a joke anymore. And so like what can you think of an example of why you wanted to drop one? I've been trying. Well, there's a joke I have about my vibrator that I don't want that I've been not doing anymore because it's one of the first jokes I wrote and it feels too easy and I'll do it only if I'm really struggling mm-hmm. and I'm on the road and I'm like okay they want and I almost do it as an they don't know it but I almost do it as an F you like if it's a bad crowd and I'm like oh I know what you want you want a vibrator joke that's easy and then does and it then, always work yeah <laughs> and I hate it I don't like it it feels too easy and it feels hacky mm-hmm. and and I've been trying to drop it out of my act. I think I actually didn't even put it on my album, which I'm proud of. If that's the case, it might be on there without me realizing it. But um, I don't. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Lee also wants to know the smallest audience you've performed for. Oh, bars I, with dogs? Yes, no. <laughs> he said. He asked. I performed for one guy once. How was that? Really weird. Really weird. I mean, you you just do crap. It's basically you just talk to him and try a couple jokes out. And then, I mean, I think it was like some show at Hollywood Hotel or something a long time ago, like maybe three years ago. And this whole like one guy showed up and we all performed for him. Was he loving it or was it like, too he much for him? Liked, I think he kind of liked it, actually. Yeah. He was laughing. Yeah. I mean, I... It's funny that you could say that I can actually legit say I've performed for one guy. <laughs> I mean, there's it doesn't get smaller than that unless yeah. you're going to perform in the mirror. Do you get unnerved when it's a not good turnout? Yeah, I kind of I find it upsetting. And, I, you know, that happens a lot because I'm just not famous yet and I'm pretty new to headlining. And so it's sort of a risk you take. You know, you I think everyone goes through it and I have to remind myself, okay, it's like this is just part of the mm-hmm. the thing. Like you're not going to suddenly be famous overnight. I mean, that's like the main reason you want to be famous is just so you can draw a crowd. Right. You know, like that's like the main thing. So right. it feels frustrating. It feels – it's hard to not take it personally. Yes. You're like really out of all the people in Houston, out of everybody, only like 40 people showed up. It's, you know – 
But then if they're good, it can it really can make a difference. You're like, oh, they all want to be here. I'd rather have 40 people who want to be there than like 300 people who don't want to be mm, there. Yeah. Much prefer that. That's part of the, to go back to what we were talking about before, that's part of the reason I don't always love doing my podcast live is because I feel, and no one else has put this pressure on me, but I feel so much pressure to have a humongous turnout because I'm taking it so personally. So if yeah. they're like that, the, the sketch fest show sold out. And when I looked on the website and I saw that it was sold out, I was like, this is a mistake. Like, how <laughs> is that? Like, I don't normally draw that well. Um, and I think that too was part of the reason that that show felt so good because I wasn't worried about, um, I wasn't worried about the turnout. But yeah, in ge- yes, in you general, can really like- relax. Like when you know it's sold out, then you can just relax and do. I think all we ever want to do is just what we came to do. We yeah. don't want to produce. So- yeah, we don't. <laughs> but like, yeah, you just want to tell jokes in front of people that want to hear the jokes. And if there's nobody there, you feel like half of the equation is missing. Right. You're like. I don't want to beg to to, to you know sp- spread joy and laughter, <laughs> <laughs> but also it feels it, it feels embarrassed. Like I go into an imposter syndrome of like, who yes. made me? Like, why did I think I should be doing this? Like, clearly, look at this. Tony totally is a performer that. and professional drummer. How oh, do you cool. how do you feel about turnouts? Yeah, very similar to what she said about uh, yeah the the I'd rather play for you know 40 50 people that really want to be there because i have been on like the other side of that and like played a show at a college that had a really great turnout like like over a thousand people or something you know show up and none of them cared about seeing us Mm -hmm. they were just there because it was like a free thing to do at school and like i remember our bass player literally like saw guys like clearly making fun of us right in front of them and like you know so it's like yeah let's uh, you know, obviously it's cooler when more people show up, but yeah, I'd rather play to excited people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally you want a lot of excited people, but if you have to choose definitely yeah. fewer who are excited, then. Mm-hmm. Do you do morning radio a lot for your out of town shows? And yeah. How, how do you like that? Because I always hear people. Um, it's hard. Not Sometimes love it. it's hard. Like some of some people are good at it. Like they they know how to talk to comics and some ask really dumb questions where you're just like, this is painful. Oh, like what? Make sure I don't oh, ask I any can't. of these. No, 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 no. <laughs> I can't even remember. They're just so vague. Like, how'd you get into stand up? You know, like how did like, but they're just like, they don't come out in any context. Uh-huh. It's just kind of like, tell us your, so tell us about yourself. Right. You know, tell, so what do you. It, I think there's something to, to be said for open-ended questions, but I also think like I tend – sometimes I feel like I close my questions too much. I'll be like, so tell me about this. Was it A or B? And then I like inside I'm like kind of getting on my own case about that because it's like I just limited their answer. But but I also feel like it's almost – it can be almost like hostile to ask a question that's too open-ended, I feel like. It's yeah. almost like an essay question. It feels like you're doing – it feels like then you have to do the – you're doing the interview and the answer. Right. Like you're like, oh, do you mean this part of my life or do you yeah. mean that? Like it's too vague. I feel like a little bit it's like, okay, so do, give me a spiel. Yeah. And also it usually comes from people who haven't done any research on you. Like they have no idea who you are or what you've done or anything. So they have no context for the questions. Right. And they're not interested. They're just kind of like, I don't know. Or or sometimes I'll just get like, are you dating anyone? Who are you you dating? What's it like being a female on the road? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Oh, I haven't even asked you any questions about being a female comedian. No, you don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) Fine with me. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's see. I mean, uh, you can. You're welcome to. Well, I mean, do you have do you have anything you'd like to to share about the experience of being a female comedian in uh, in the in 2019? Um, I mean, you've you've been doing it long enough now. Have you seen it change? A little bit, but nothing that drastic, to be honest. You know, I mean, I've definitely experienced like some sexism, but then also some things that I feel like you get opportunities because you're a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think it's like double edged thing. Right. Some things are good. Some things not. Do you get people being skeevy and gross to you? Now, Now I think that everyone's going the opposite way. I think everyone's going like super careful, except to be honest, the only people that are still a little bit weird are club managers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some club managers, they're not, they'll do it in a very subtle way, but you feel a little bit like they're like not quite taking you seriously, mm. you know? Like, and it's a very, they, I don't think they realize it. Like they might laugh at something you say or like they they show they think you're cute, but they don't show that they respect you. Mm-hmm. So the respect thing is like, and you think that, and, and they don't think, they think they're being fine because they're not like hitting on you or anything, but you'll say something and they'll kind of laugh and you're like, you wouldn't do that for like the guy, right? you know, like, right. or like if I, if I have like a question and then they like joke around about it and I'll be like, no, that's like a legit question. Like I'm actually asking you that, you know, that kind of thing. Can you think of like an example of a question that where you're legitimately asking? And they give a joke answer. Well, yeah, I don't, I feel bad saying, That's I don't want to like call. Yeah. Cause they were like a perfectly nice person and they didn't, but it's weird. Cause they didn't even realize they couldn't quite realize they were doing it. I'm mm. trying to think of one there where I would feel better about it, but I just don't want to call anyone out. You know? Eh, yeah. It was something really dumb. Just like probably even just about the temperature in the room, just something like, I think I was just like, uh, it's really, it's like really hot in the showroom. And like that's like a legit thing right. because because it affects the comedy. It affects the comic and the crowd mm-hmm. scientifically won't laugh as much if it's a hot room. So I said something like, is it hot? And then they kind of like bantered and joked about it. And I was like, no, that's actually like I'm actually that's like actually a legit concern if it's right. hot in the showroom. You know, so something like that that was like seems silly but the way they reacted was a little bit like you're not actually taking me seriously mm-hmm. like if i was a guy you'd be like oh we'll, we'll cool it down you know well it sounds like they're not interacting with you as a performer in their club they're interacting with you as a cute girl a little bit or there's like there's that facade on top of it like they're they don't quite know how to react mm-hmm. to me you know and yeah. so yeah so it's a little bit like there's an underhandedness that they're not aware of. Right. So I'll I'll be like, okay, I get it. But I'll also kind of walk away. Mm-hmm. Like from that interaction, I just walked away. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, it totally makes sense. But I didn't realize yeah. that scientifically you laugh more in a colder room. Yeah. Like Dave Letterman used to keep it right. at like 60 degrees in the showroom. Because like, yeah, everybody laughs. It's like, I think it's um, like a, what do you call it? Like um not biological, but it's, you know, there's Could a be reason. biological. Yeah, there's a reason for it scientifically that it's like proven that people laugh when they're cold and right. don't laugh when they're hot. That's so interesting. Probably because you're conserving energy. Like if you're hot, you're not going to like use up energy. Right, mm-hmm. right. If you're cold, you're like trying to get yeah. warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. 
Uh, oh, here's an open-ended one. Dorian Ayala, what's the most satisfying aspect of being a comedian? The most satisfying aspect? That's like a really nice positive question, isn't it? It is. Um, I think the most satisfying thing is like when I, lately I just feel really great when especially like when women come up like women around my age come up to me after shows and they're like oh my god I related so much to what you're talking about like like so related to it all it makes me feel like oh I'm like I'm like doing something that makes people feel less alone in the world and that feels that makes me feel really good mm-hmm. so just feeling like you can like the connecting to people to feeling like, oh, you're like maybe helping them or making them feel like they're understood by, by right. you or, or they're not the only one who feels this way. Um, have you had times in your life where you felt alone in the world? I think I feel like that a lot. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. 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 I think it's very human to feel like, oh, I might, I might be the only one experiencing this. I have a segment that um, I haven't, I used to do it on every single show. I haven't been doing it as much, but it's called Just Me or Everyone. And it's just like people writing in with things that they think or do and they wonder, is it just me or everyone? And it's it's a lot of like quirks and idiosyncrasies and things like that. But I like the the whole point of that is just like, look, we all do weird shit. We all think weird shit. We all feel weird shit. Um, And, I, having this podcast has made me feel a lot less alone because more and more I'm just like the more I open up about whatever I'm afraid to open up about, the more I get the feedback that like it's okay. And I really, yeah. really believe that I mean this is like hokey, but I really believe that everyone is way more similar than like like the part the human condition is to feel trapped in the borders of your own body and to feel like what if you're different and what if everyone else is a certain way and you're not. Like that, I feel like that's just in everyone's brain. And if it's not, you're a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think a lot of art forms are to make you feel less alone in whatever your struggles are, whatever Mm -hmm. it is to be like, oh, we're all, we all think this is ridiculous. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Because the only way you can ever really understand someone else's experience is their expression of it. Yeah. And also how they react to your experiences. Right. Like if you don't share your experiences, you don't. You'll never know right. how other people would perceive it. Right. I remember someone telling me, and it was like a listener who, or it was like in a tweet or something, but saying that his therapist told him that the way to build intimacy is to share secrets. And I was like, and we were talking. It was about relationships. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, oh my god, is it that simple? Is it like, <laughs> can it really be reduced to just an equation of like, if you want to f- have increased intimacy with someone, just be vulnerable? But I think it is. Have you ever heard this? is This is a little different, but it just reminded me of. Have you ever heard of the Benjamin Franklin rule? No. That if if you feel that somebody doesn't like you for whatever reason, um, you're supposed to ask them to do you a favor. So you say, so like, I have heard of stuff like this. Have you like heard this. of that where it's like you like like let's say you know I feel like you don't really like me I'll be like do you have could you can I borrow this book and because of the action of letting me borrow it mm-hmm. you feel a warmth towards me that's so interesting and then it connects you to that person yeah so it's so interesting how like actions lead to like feelings so right. like the idea that you're sharing a secret is an action uh-huh. and then someone feels special because you're sharing with them and then immediately you feel more intimate right. with each other. I remember there was this guy that I had this very on again, like a very, it was funny. I had like a tumultuous friendship with him. We were just friends, Mm. Um, but it was on again, off again. And 
Um, Did you want it to be more? Yeah, yeah. I, I I had so many feelings for him. And then later, we ended up, it, it turned romantic briefly. And there really wasn't chemistry between us. And then like after that, we could have a normal friendship. Oh, but it's like, it's like, which I normally wouldn't, I wouldn't think that, I wouldn't think that you get that out of the way and then you could have a normal friendship. I would normally would think like that was da- that was a bad decision because our friendship could have imploded. But anyway, right. but during that, like the height of it, the craziness in the friendship, um, he like stopped talking to me for a period of time and I was just like, so like heartbroken over it. Um, and then I was angry and then I ran into him at, um, a, at a concert at Triangle Square. Tony, did you ever perform at Triangle Square? It was probably smaller no. than your band would ever perform. Try, do you know Triangle no, Square? It's in Orange it? County. It's, <clears throat> it's, an, it's an anti-mall. It's the lab anti-mall. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry for, for the six people in Orange County who are angry at their phones right now. Triangle Square is a different place. This was this was a concert at the Lab Anti-Mall. It's an anti-mall and all that means is that there's like a lot of exposed beams and uh like crappy looking pieces of metal hanging out and it's like a <laughs> it's like an alternative mall. Are there shops in yes, it? Yes, they're just oh, regular mall shops. It's just like but a it, crappy mall? Yes, it just <laughs> it's looks It's not an anti-mall, it's a crappy mall. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a concert there. But anyway, he came up to me and asked if I could buy him a cup of coffee. And I was like, that's super ballsy. <laughs> you, after like, I, I mean, maybe we both felt this way, but I was like, yeah. you are a dick to me and now you want me to buy you coffee? But yes, I will. Yeah. And I will feel warmly toward you right. because of it. So and I guess Ben Franklin was right. And romance started? No, that started um, later? years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, why, why was it tumultuous as a friendship if you, like, were you? Like, I think it it was a very intense friendship. Mm. Um, and we were really like surrogate boyfriend, girlfriend, mm. like nothing was really happening, but he would call us back in the, in the days of phones. I mean, we would yeah. like talk for a long, like hours every single night. Wow. Um, and we were pretty inseparable. Like the only thing, and I definitely had feelings for him. Like the only thing that wasn't happening was we weren't hooking up. Um, and why did it take so long for that to happen? Just because maybe he didn't want to ruin the friendship. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he had stuff going on. Like he had a baby on the way oh. with his ex-girlfriend. Oh, okay. He had all this stuff going on yeah. in his life. Um, yeah, that's not an available person. then, Right. Oh, okay. oh, he was like <laughs> yeah, not, the height of okay. not available. Yeah. I mean, he's the kind of everyone around me would have like, yeah, why are you? Why are you doing this? You know, and I'm like, I don't. I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah. And and now we don't talk anymore because apparently he's like a full-fledged junkie. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Yeah, it took a, it took a dark turn. It's oh, too bad. Geez. And I feel oh, like sad. it's sad. Um, and I feel like I should read. He tried to reach out to me a few times and it was all like it was kind of crazy each time um, a few years ago. But I feel really guilty that I haven't. Like uh, the sense is like all of we. It was like a big group of us who were friends, mm-hmm. and kind of everyone, all the good friends pulled away from him. And like the sense I get is like, oh, he's not really him anymore. But I feel Aww. really bad, and like I want to reach out, and then I go, but do I? Do I? Is my fantasy that none of the other good friends could reach him, but he, but I could? That's but I still problem. feel like maybe I should try because my fear is. My fear is like I'm gonna get a call saying that he OD'd, and I'm gonna feel so guilty for the fact like you that didn't I was. Even try I, or... I, I've 
been out of his life now for years and years and years. Yeah. Mm. This is my own my own thing to figure but out. But yeah, at the same time, it's like he's the one who has to make the decision. You know, like no one person right. probably will. I don't think I don't think that's how it works with I don't addiction think like so. that. I don't think so. They usually just drag everyone down with them. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's I think ever a lot of other people tried. Yeah. And then they say you're supposed to just let them hit rock bottom. Right. If you reach out, you're almost enabling. Right. So yeah. you know. It's tough. It's it weird. is hard though. It's weird because we really were inseparable for years. And you like, could just send a note saying, I'm just thinking about you. I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. Something like that that just shows you're thinking about right. him. And I, don't you even, don't, I don't even know like, how to reach him anymore. Really? He's yeah. not on any online thing? He's on Facebook. I don't know if he checks it though. Because it's like just, uh, like you like if I go to his Facebook pages, he hasn't posted since like 2016 What did he do for work? Um, he, uh, he recorded and produced bands. Oh yeah, and he doesn't anymore. I don't think so. He lost. He had a he had a studio and he lost his studio. And oh, it's so tragic when yeah. people are like on a good, like going on a good mm-hmm. road, and then they I know way sidetracked by drugs. Or I something. know. I knew that he had, and now I'm like shit because this is this going to get back to anyone? But mm-hmm. this is the truth. I yeah, knew we're not that saying he, a name. Right? Yeah, I mean, I knew that he had had problems, but I thought that he was really on the other side of it. But um. but uh, but. Jim Feenstra wants to know, (laughs) why does poor grammar drive her insane? Or is it why do poor grammar? It's not. It's why does. Um, It doesn't really. Well, it does. It's a joke. Yeah, no, it's annoying because uh, my mom is so into grammar. And so I can't if people use like if someone goes, I'm going to the park with her. I mean, her and I, her and I are going to the park. My my brain is like. She and I, you know, it's like the her thing, right? Or just with or when people use I incorrectly, and mm-hmm. they said between her and I, wait, no, between her and I, yeah, yes, between her and me, right? Because my mom really is like into grammar, so that's why. Have you heard this one? Between she and myself, oh, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of unnecessary myself, or have you heard this? Um, her and I's car. Eyes. Eyes. <laughs> eyes is not a thing. You, you never hear more eyes than on like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. It, I mean, who thinks that's a word? I think the, I think <laughs> it's people who know that me is often incorrect. So they use I, but All they don't. All the time. Yes. And that drives me more insane than anything. Yeah. I as a possessive eyes. <laughs> it's just wrong. Just my or, or between her and myself. Yeah. Is annoying too. Yeah. There's a lot of self put in there that's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, Jay Coates would like to know, how does she honestly feel about Twitter? I mean, I really like Twitter. It's probably my favorite social media platform because I just like words and jokes and stuff. And I feel like Instagram is so image based Mm -hmm. and I'm not that great at Instagram and I don't really like it. I don't like being on there. It doesn't make me feel good. Whereas Twitter, I feel like, oh, I can share a joke and see if it works and see how people like it and feels kind of like a creative outlet. That being said, I, you know, sometimes I might be on there too much. And then sometimes when people are like, I read your Twitter all the time, it freaks me out. And I'm like, what? People are reading this? Who are you? That kind of thing. Oh, that's so funny because <laughs> I get like the opposite thing of people being like, um, they're almost, well, more when I had a a, a blog that I mm. kept up. But like, I don't want you to think I'm like a stalker or anything, but I read all your stuff. And I'm like, 
I don't think you're like, that's why I do it. That's the whole point of it. I don't feel oh, like you're a stalker so at all. I always feel like embarrassed, like immediately embarrassed, like, cause I'll, cause you tweet things and you forget that individual people are reading it. You're yeah. just like, I'm sending it into the abyss. <laughs> who knows who, how this will influence anything. And then when people read it, you're like, what? You actually, that <laughs> person reads my tweets and how many have you seen? And right. suddenly I get all embarrassed. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I know it's the point, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't remember what I wrote on right, right. at 2 a.m. And lastly, Fernando Martinez wants to know, Please ask her what the wisest course of action would be if a zombie apocalypse, excuse me, if a zombie apocalypse does indeed break out. I mean, I don't really read up on zombie stuff, so (laughs) I don't really know what you're supposed to do. I have a feeling you're supposed to hide, right? Like, I mean, why don't you read Zombieland? Mm -hmm. I mean, watch Zombieland and do what they did. He had a bunch of rules for for how to deal with zombies, right? Yeah, that's a good, this is. Fernando, right, zombie, just watch, solved it for watch you. Watch Zombieland and listen to uh, Woody Harrelson. Right? Is that who was in it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Woody Harrelson. Do yeah. what Woody. Her- do, ask yourself what would Woody do? What would Woody W-W-W-D. do? Yeah. <laughs> Erica yeah. Rhodes, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. Um, tell everyone where they can find more about you and plug all your stuff. Yes, um, I have a website that's ericarodescomedy.com. It's R-H-O-D-E-S. Yeah, R-H-O-D-E-S. You know, what's funny is my last name was changed from Rosenblum. Oh, really? So it's very close to yours. Yeah. Um, my dad, my dad's dad changed it. Okay. Half Jewish. There you go. But, um, anyway, so, but my name now is Erica Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. And then um, I always wished we had changed our name to something. And, and oh, in my really? mind, I was like, why didn't we just go to like Reed? That's a cool or last Rose, name. Or Rose, just yeah. Rose. Mm-hmm. That would work. Anytime, I like your name, though. Anytime I write the word Rose, my I always put an N in. I, I, um, this oh, is, really? I'm not trying to name drop, but this is a name drop. I interviewed Rose McGowan for a magazine like a thousand years ago. That's cool. And the transcription I turned in, my editor's like, you know that every single time it said Rose and McGowan. Oh, that's <laughs> I was not funny. aware of that. Rosen. <laughs> yeah. My fingers just type it. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And Erica just Rhodes Erica comedy. Rhodes uh, on Twitter and Instagram and uh, everywhere else. I just post about my shows and then get my sad, my sad lemon album, which is on iTunes, Amazon and everywhere else. Spotify. Wonderful. Yeah. Tony Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Where might we find you? Uh, at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram. And please check out my new podcast, Bizarre Albums. Do it. I was thinking you could call him the Thax. The Thax. The Thax. It happens from Does time to happen? time. Does that happen? Yeah. Okay, I kind of like the Thax. I don't know if Allison's or called that, but people did, call me that. Did I not read a tweet where you called yourself the Thax Man? Mm. Uh, I mean, if it's possible, but it was me like being stupid. Like, oh, I know. know. Yeah, I think you you liked two tweets in a row from someone. Uh huh. You and you said like they'd earned two faves from the Thax Man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I know. Yeah, I like I think the it was facts, Henry, man. Yeah. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I know it's good. Uh, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Listen to my other podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. It's called Childish. And if you like what you're hearing on this one and that one, download, tell a friend, subscribe, leave comments. I'm, I'm. This pause is me trying to think what else you can do with a pod. Put, go to a party and turn it on. <laughs> Put it in your playlist. Um, and, uh, check out my website, alisonrosen.com for all the other stuff. Thank you so much for being on the show, Erica. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye.
you know about the Alice and Rosen show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Alice and Rosen.